Now streaming, the Netflix and Swill podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Netflix and Swill podcast, your source for Netflix news, reviews, and booze. I'm Caleb. And I always forget that I have, well, that I don't I don't have to do something, but I uh, want to do something clever for this, and I never think about it until three seconds after you start the episode. Yeah. Well, maybe you should just say your name, because uh, nah. that's why you got me here, is for the, the funny jokes and the the witticisms, and you're the... You're the one who plays it straight and keeps me on task. I guess that's true. Uh, hey, how are you? I'm fine. I'm not. I'm not trying to, you know, dissuade you from your comedic uh, style. Attempting just... to be funny? Yes, you're. You're. You're yeah. right. I mean, you should. But considering... yeah, you've had some zingers in your day. Uh, yeah, every now and then. What's new? What are you into? How old? Oh my god! So I briefly talked about Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven last week. This week, it has gotten crazy. Uh, Sony delisted the the game entirely from its storefront, so you can't even purchase it off their storefront. (laughs) Sony and Microsoft have expanded their refund policies because typically their refund policies are like if you play the game for fewer than two hours, uh, you can refund it for full full value. Uh, and now they're just allowing like complete refunds on Cyberpunk, no matter how much you've. I think there's still a limit, but like it's no longer two hours, which is fine. Yeah, like not, you can't platinum the game. Although there was some entitled douchebag on the internet who uh, posted a screenshot being like of Xbox support being like, "Hey, uh, we're taking the game away from you." Also, and he's like, "No, I should get a refund and keep the game because fuck Cyberpunk." And I'm like, "Nah." And everyone on the internet is like, nah, that guy's an idiot. But uh, it is arguably the single worst game launch in the history of game launches. And Fallout 76 came out the same year, or like last year. I don't think you're old enough to remember E.T. on the Atari. I mean, I saw the Code Monkeys episode about E.T. on the Atari, and (laughs) good enough. There's also a store in Australia, I think, that like pulled any copies of cyberpunk off the shelves and put like a piece of paper that said, if you're buying here to buy cyberpunk, please see, uh, I, I guess their customer service that's in, you know, the electronics department, probably to explain to them that cyberpunk is horribly, horribly broken and they shouldn't buy it. I don't, I don't know. They delayed it so much. Like, I don't know why they didn't just say, Hey, we're not bringing the game to market until it's finished. Uh, shareholders. It's a publicly traded company, so that's yeah, well, that's what it is. I mean, so is Nintendo, but like Nintendo never like that's why Nintendo never announces dates for games. Correct. They're just like we're working on this. It'll be out when it's finished. And Nintendo, I've been waiting two years for Metroid Prime Four. Yes, but they've never released a game that is just fucking unplayable. Correct. Well, actually, what was the one where you had to send? You had to send in your card or disc to Nintendo and they would update it and then send it back to you. There was one before like the the prevalence of the internet that did that. Hmm. And I think it was was it Metroid Hunters? No, cuz I had Metroid Prime Hunters and that game was fine. But yeah, I don't, know. There, I don't remember. There was I now want to look this up, but uh so yeah, uh, it's it's kind of crazy like what game companies will do in this day day and age in order to uh you know just like get a quick buck and, and that's really what cyberpunk is, is a, a quick buck i mean no man's sky was a disastrous launch because they promised a lot and didn't give you a lot uh or at least some people felt i felt the game was fine as it was i actually enjoyed yeah. playing that game for what it was and then well, it, they made it better expected things out of that game that they never said were going to be in the game but i mean if you go back and play no man's sky now it's pretty much like it delivers on everything they promise. Yeah. 
It's uh, it's pretty fucking crazy. But yeah, uh, this generation has been plagued with buggy game releases, terrible game releases. You know, too many empty promises. Uh, and I mean, the the big the big consternation around this is that. These games shouldn't have been released on last generation platforms. To which I say, no, they should have been released on last generation platforms. It's Cyber, po- it's CD Projekt Red's problem that it doesn't run well on last generation pro- platforms because they said it was going to release on everything. I don't know. Things are no better over in uh, physical game space because uh, the quality of Magic: The Gathering cards is also very bad and. Uh, they basically come out of packs looking like Pringles. Yikes! That's actually fucking terrible. Yeah. Their uh, print qualities fucking dropped off way hard. And it's completely random, too. Like, some of them will look perfect and great. Some of them, like, the foils will be all scratched up. Because, like, they didn't cut the sheets right and, like, scraped off some of the paint on the edges and shit. What the fuck? Like, even the non-foils on a lot of recent print runs curl. But, like, some of them will just be perfect. But uh, the other problem they have a lot is, like, they don't mix the ink properly. So, like, some cards look, like, really washed out and faded and, like, dark. Mm. And others, like, the colors really pop and look vibrant, so. Okay. I don't know, like, open a pack of, like, I don't play the Pokemon TCG, but, like, watching pack openings on youtube like open a pack of pokemon in any recent magic set side to side and compare the card quality and like you will not believe that the same company makes both games like obviously they use different printers for right but like i don't know i don't know what the fuck the deal is as as though i needed another reason to just fucking buy the singles and not like buy sealed packs but i think sealed packs are fun like i, I like sealed opening packs sealed are fun because it's like it's like playing the lottery and like, yeah you know i get the appeal of it but like i don't know you never get you never get your money back and if you do it only fuels you to try and get more money back and you wind up losing money yeah. and blah 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 and and i say this as somebody who Open six hundred dollars worth of a recent Magic the Gathering set. Oh fuck! How, there was one set of Yu-Gi-Oh where I opened maybe four hundred dollars worth of boxes for that, just because I was like, I like this set. There's a lot of chase cards in it, and I actually got one of the chase cards. Yeah. I never sold it off before it got banned, so therefore its value tanked. But I have a binder full of banned cards that I'm just like, I am waiting for the day. Where you come off the ban list and I can make a massive profit off of you. <laughs> I'm I'm holding out hope. I don't know. I should just start buying a sealed box of each magic set and just never open them and just buy the cards that I want. Because like after five years, ten years, and those boxes start becoming rare, you can flip them for like double what you paid in. Yeah. I wonder because I have a a, a shoebox full. Of Pokemon cards. I'm wondering if those cards will have any value. Because a, a lot of them are from original set. Like or, like base set. Will they actually have any value? Because like it feels like the value comes from content creators opening packs. And people like, well, for some reason, like people like watching people open packs. Yeah, I enjoy watching people open packs every now and then. It gets me that uh, endorphin rush of playing the lottery without having to actually spend my money yeah but i'm wondering if you know because i have like blastoise venusaur from like the og set and have charizard unfortunately but yeah like I, i'm wondering how much those would fetch on an open market without you know sealed packs i had uh, a first edition foil vile plume from jungle which was the very first expansion yeah to the pokemon card game and uh, I gave all my Pokemon cards to my nephew, and I think his dad sold them all. Yikes! I uh, my uh, oh fuck, my cousins wanted me to like give my Pokemon cards to like uh, I guess my second cousin or what I don't know what the the levels of cousinhood are, but 
And they were like, yeah, well, he wants to learn Pokemon. Why don't you give him your cards? I'm like, dude, these cards are like 15 years old. Like, at some point, they're going to be worth something, and I'm not going to have some fucking, like, eight-year-old kid destroy them because he wants to play Pokemon. Buy him the cards. Buy him decks. I don't care. Yeah, like, my nephew, I tried getting him into the Pokemon TCG and started learning how to play it with him. And uh, he liked to carry his cards around in his pocket for some reason. Yep. So his foil EX Lugia went through the washing machine. Oh my god, my soul hurts. <laughs> oh, that hurts so bad. Fuck. Eh. That one's on him. Like, I, I bought him card oh, yeah. sleeves, so. But, like, that's... Oh, no. No, 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 no. No, I, I, no, I can never do that. So, like, I will never, I will sell my cards yeah. at the correct time whenever it comes to it. Yeah, but now uh, he, like, after the Pokemon TCG was kind of a non-starter with him, he actually got into magic. Uh, so now I just give him all of my bulk commons and he can fuck those up. Oh, yeah, because they're bulk commons. They're like 25 cents. You can buy those at any trading yeah. card store for 25 cents. I don't know. Most commons in Magic are worth like one to three cents. Oh well, sure, but the store is trying to make a profit, so they're charging yeah. you twenty five cents. It might be. I think it's like, I think they might do like, uh, you know, like a dollar for like six comms or something like that. So it's something where they're making a profit still, but it's not like yeah. crazy. Or uh, I don't know. I haven't I haven't bought singles at a card shop in a while, but like a lot of times when I buy them through. Uh, like TCG player or something, mm -hmm. which I mean, that's they like it's basically eBay for like game stores anyway. Like you're buying it from local game stores, they just you know use that as their storefront or whatever, right? But, but like a lot of times, if I buy like a couple rares or whatever, they'll pack in a couple like bulk commons basically to like protect it, yeah. So I get just, you know, some free shit. I actually got a couple of uh, cards for the Final Fantasy trading card game, which I didn't know existed. What, the random? Through that, yeah. Um, like, they just packed them in because they're apparently worthless, and <laughs> they just wanted to protect my cards. Actually, I have them right here. Let me see what the fuck these are. I have two Black Mages, uh, Neo Bahamut, Bahamut EX... Uh, I have three Bahamut EXs and a Neo Bahamut and two Black Mages. Whatever the fuck that means. Yeah, I don't know. I, d I didn't realize there was a Final Fantasy trading card game. It apparently was not popular or valuable at all. But the cards themselves are pretty cool because they're not printed on cardstock. They're on like a thin sheet of plastic. Interesting. So I feel like, uh, like you don't really need to sleeve them up. Like they're. They're made for, like, sweaty, Cheeto-dust-covered weeb hands. Correct. And that's my story. Boy, we've been talking about card games for a long time. I'm sure everyone is riveted by this. Yeah, it's just whatever. Yeah. This is banter. Welcome, welcome to banter. Yeah. Did you put the Sonic High School fanfiction reading from... Uh, said nephew, who I gave my Pokemon cards to in the show notes. I did forget that, uh, so I will put it in the show notes this week. I promise. <laughs> I just wanted to talk about it, because, like, I revisited that, like, he has them on YouTube. Nah. But I was listening to that, and, like, it kind of inspired me to do a dumb thing for our patrons, so I, like, I'm gonna look up uh, other bad fan fiction, and I think I'm gonna start with Mega Man, and read you some Mega Man fan fiction. Perfect. Which probably is erotic because people are awful. People are awful, and will hurt you because the internet. Because they can. <laughs> I suppose without further delay, we should get into what's your swill. Can we please get some alcohol into my mouth? He hates these cans! Stay away from the cans! And I'm having Miller High Life. It is the champagne of beers. The champagne of beers. I'm having a gin and tonic. As per usual. 
All right. Um, no real news this week, so there was one bit, and it's a that Yu Yu Hakusho is getting a live action adaptation. Uh, Yu Yu Hakusho is one of my favorite anime ever. I watched probably every episode up until like, uh, so it was on Cartoon Network for a long time uh, on their Toonami, and then they switched it to mornings. And then they were about to get to the climactic arc of like the spirit detective arc, or like the f- climactic fight of the spirit detective arc, and uh, with Sensui, and uh, they started over from the beginning. So I never knew how that fucking show ended. Oh wow! Fortunately, it's all on Hulu, so I can watch it there. But yeah, that was at the time the biggest fucking travesty to me was that they started over at the beginning of, or like at the nearly the end of like the second to last arc. I about fucking lost my mind. So, uh, how will this be? I don't know. It's going to look ridiculous. I I know that because anime in live action form and anime in live action form when paying homage to the anime, uh, most of the time doesn't fucking work. Huh. Vanessa's been watching Sweet Home without me. That's the the, uh, show that I said looked like Tokyo Gore Police. Yes. Man, come on, Vanessa, get with it. Uh, so that'll move us over into Downstream. The segment where there's so many trailers and everyone complains about it, except me. Baby, I can't control the internet. That's my favorite line! Uh, first up, we got a proper full-length trailer for Equinox, uh, a show that we watched a teaser for a while back and talked about that was uh, apparently so... Bland that I forgot that it even existed. Yes. Because I didn't remember anything about this show existing. Uh, in 1999, 21 high school graduates vanish without a trace. 20 years later, Astrid discovers the unsettling truth behind the disappearance of her sister and her classmates. This looks... fine, I guess? Looks interesting. Yeah. Like I said the first time we talked about it, it looks like a a carryover for Dark. Dark fans, uh, mm-hmm. it looks like it's, me- it's fucking with time. Uh, so, you know, Albert Einstein's going to come up and say, I will fuck with time. And then, uh, you know, he'll get beat up by testicle monsters and that'll be it. <laughs> <laughs> looks spooky and mysterious. Next up is the trailer for Outside the Wire. Set in the future, Harp, played by Damson Indris. His name is Damson. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, a drone pilot is sent to a deadly militarized zone where he finds himself working for Leo, played by Anthony Mackie, an android officer, tasked to locate a doomsday device before the insurgents do. Outside the Wire is directed by Mikhail Hafstrom. Wait, I'm rubbing I'm rubbing my computer screen to make sure it's not a piece of dust. There is an accent mark over the A. I'm going to go with Mikhail Hafstrom. Sure. <laughs> They finally found the perfect role for Anthony Mackie, an android, because that guy cannot <laughs> display emotions for the life yeah. of himself. He could play Plank in the live-action gritty adaptation of Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Oh my god, I would love that. I don't, I don't get the fascination with Anthony Mackie, guys. I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I think his best role might have been as Falcon, but I think that's just because the Russos are actually like good directors. And therefore, you know, could get something out of him instead of him just looking like a fucking brick wall the whole time. Do you remember which one was he in? Uh, Winter Soldier was the first yeah, one. Yeah, Winter him? Soldier was the first one with him. Yeah. Do you remember, like, when they kind of set his character up as, like, you know, he had kind of PTSD and was going to have to deal with that mm-hmm. and like set it up like they were going to have character development for him but then they didn't mm-hmm. that was cool yeah it was really cool and I guess they're going to fix that with the series that's coming out on Disney Plus which did you know that Disney Plus is basically going to have a Marvel series every week uh, for like at least the first uh, six months of 2021 when you when you say series, do you mean a single episode like they did with the Mandalorian? Yes. Okay. I'm just making sure because they're doing they're they're doing that strategy, which is hey, we want you to stay subscribed to us as possible, 
So we're yeah. just going to make sure you stay subscribed for six months because reasons. Because they pretty much have to because uh, it's the middle of a global pandemic and they are a theme park based business. That is correct. I don't know. I won't. I won't lament Disney losing any money. I won't either. I don't know. One of my one of my coworkers who is like really into the stock market for no apparent reason was like trying to argue with me that like Disney's at like a, an all time record high, and I was like, no, no, it it's just because their stock price is like totally based off of their like ability to hold subscribers to this thing that like they're not really making money off of, but like people are investing on it because they see future potential. Like that doesn't mean that they're posting any sort of profits. Oh yeah. I'm looking at yeah, They are at an all time high, but it's based off of no, like pure speculation. Yeah. I mean, Netflix, cool talk. Netflix is pretty much at an all time high right now too. Mm-hmm. It's based off of streaming services. That is how people make money now. I mean, Disney still having what is? I think it's like eighty something million subscribers already, is a big thing. Uh, my my point is here uh, with this thing that we were actually talking about that somehow devolved into Disney talk. Uh, this looks like because it's an action movie, it looks like they're just dumping it in January, being like, "Hey, it's like post Oscars hype," even though it's like actually in the middle of Oscars hype. Uh, hopefully you won't remember that this is this exists, uh, and if you do, you'll just be like, "Ah, eh, it's a dumb, stupid action movie." That's cool. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm here for it. It looks good. I guess. I'm willing to check it out. It's just I'm not gonna care. It's got it's got fighting robots. Yeah, looks like a just a dumb, fun throwaway thing. Uh, next trailer is for Crack. Cocaine, Corruption, and Conspiracy. In the early 1980s, the crack epidemic, that's a hard word, tore through America's inner cities like a tsunami, ravaging all in its wake. That's some uh, $5 writing there. (laughs) Decades later, the destructive effects on people's lives, families, and communities are still deeply felt. Crack, Jesus, Cocaine, Corruption, and Conspiracy examines not only... The personal devastation caused by the drug, but also the shadowy origins and the crisis of the resultant ongoing marginalization of black and brown people trapped by the U.S. prison and healthcare systems. That was difficult for me to get through. I am sorry. The notable thing about this documentary is that uh, it gives you another reason to hate Ronald Reagan. As, As if I needed another reason to hate Nancy Reagan. Um... I don't know, this looks good, it looks well produced, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's an important story to be told, and I'm here for it, so. Yeah. Might check this out. I wouldn't mind this being a topic. Uh, what's the date on this one? Do you remember? Doesn't say in the description. Does it lead to Netflix? Does it? Okay, it does. And, uh, January 11th. Oh, yeah. Netflix.com slash crack. Tremendous URL. Is the link that they've provided. Thank you for that. Speaking about documentaries, the next one is for Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer. Lock your doors. Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer is coming to Netflix January 13th. Witness the story of one of the most vicious serial killers in American history, a real-life boogeyman that brought California to a standstill. Uh, as a true crime documentary, I don't care. Uh, I actually find the Night Stalker case pretty interesting. I might check this out. Okay. Well, I believe in you. And I know my wife is going to check it oh, out. Oh, of course. It's your wife. <laughs> Oof. One of the suggested videos off of that trailer was for Ghostbusters Afterlife trailer 2020. Yikes! You remember when there was supposed to be a Ghostbusters movie this year? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oh, fuck. What a time. What a time to be alive. Marion Cotillard in in a commercial? It is. What is she doing in a commercial? Sorry, I'm watching football right now, too. There's a Chanel commercial with Marion Cotillard in it. 
What a weird, weird thing. Wait, Rob Lowe is on television still? Oh, good God. 911 Lone Star. Why am I watching television? Let's move on, please. All right. The next trailer is for Asphalt Burning. Uh, it looks like if Fast and the Furious was a Simon Pegg movie. It's, sounds right. You talk. I don't. This looks terrible. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know what more you want out of me from this. It looks f- fucking god awful. And I'm not here for it. Okay. Uh, last, but probably not least, after that enthusiastic review for a trailer, uh, is Tribes of Europa. The future is not what you expected. The 2074 Europe is split into many tribal states fighting for dominance. I don't think they need the at the beginning of that sentence. The three siblings, Keanu, live. Uh, Keanu? Keanu. I said Keanu. You said Keanu. I did say Keanu. Uh, Keanu, Liv, and Elja get caught in the middle of this bloody war and are forced to forge their own paths. Holy fuck. I feel like for foreign trailers, they just, like, copy-pasted into Google Translate (laughs) and whatever comes out is what they put as the fucking YouTube description. Sounds about right. God damn. This looks fine. I'm It looks yeah. like a Hunger Games type. I might check it out just so I can practice my German. That's fair. You should check out Dark first to practice your German. Yeah. Cuz that show is very good. Uh this looks I thought it looked like more like Horizon Zero Dawn and I was like kind of there for it like there was some production design that was like, "Oh, this this looks like Horizon Zero Dawn, but no robo dinosaurs. That's an interesting take. Okay, it's not a good take, but I, it, I see that. But like, I I kind of looked at it and went, oh, okay, I like how this looks. Okay. Uh, with that, we'll jump into quick hits. Uh, my wife has been rewatching the Marvel Netflix shows, so I watched pretty much all of season two of Daredevil with her. Um, oh no, Elektra is still not any good. No, nope. nope, she's not. Um, hate that character. Should... Uh, I got to watch the Punisher's hallway fight, which was great. Yes. Uh, yeah, I really like the Punisher show, but I think that like some of the best Punisher material that they had was actually the stuff in Daredevil oh. season two. Yes, because it showed like a different side of the daredevil character like it was like here's what he really could be Mm -hmm. if he was even more brutal and the punisher in his show is like daredevil but not yeah um i don't know i think that with stuff like that a lot of times like like you're saying like the anti-hero brings out the hero more than the villain does so uh it was cool i had fun revisiting that a bit yeah, I I watched a bit when Ashley was watching for um for Rabbit Ears for Daredevil seasons uh, one through three. I watched a bit of that and was like, "Fuck yeah! Look at all this good stuff." Remember this show? All right. Did you watch anything? Uh, a lot of stuff for our Christmas episode, but uh, actually, no, I I did not. I wish I did. I was very busy on my one day that I work from home this week, and uh, it sucked. I wish I wasn't so goddamn busy, but I was. You're a cotton-headed ninny, Muggins. Uh, I did watch that, though. We watched the TV the TV cut, and I just sat there, because I actually recorded it off of the TV because we don't have the Blu-ray for it, but like I sat there being like, this is a terrible TV timeout. Like We shouldn't be cutting here. We should be cutting like 30 seconds down the road because that's a more natural point. Uh, TV, TV studios, hire me so I can tell you when to do TV commercials uh, for the movie that make actual sense and don't enrage people like me. All right. Dust off the old resume and see if you can pull that together. I actually do because our company is currently undergoing a merger and my job is likely going to be considered unnecessary because somebody else already probably does my job and has more tenure than me. Cool. Boy, that's what, like the fifth time that's happened to you? Only the second. But it's the life I've signed up for, which... uh 
sucks. Although everyone keeps saying, like, I have the best chance of staying because I basically do payroll for all of California, and California is extraordinarily needy. But I'm just like, anybody could do this job if they have enough patience. So, yeah. Well, don't worry. Your people are having no trouble finding patients right now because there's a pandemic. <laughs> oh, it's true. Go to the doctor. Make sure you don't have symptoms if you feel like you're having symptoms. That's two things that never get old. Dark humor and unvaccinated kids. <laughs> uh, it's true. Uh, so with that, why don't we take a quick break? Uh, and listen to a, a live ad read for a sponsor for the Netflix and School podcast as we then go into our main review topic of the week for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Hey, Dan, uh, you know the Pokemons? You mean the 870-something there are of them? Yes. Yeah, um, do you know Spider-Man? There's a lot of Spider-Man these days. Who's your favorite Spider-Man? Well, what if... What if you could make uh, a team of your favorite Spider-Mans and make them fight, I don't know, Post Malone, I guess? That's kind of like what Stardraft is. You assemble your super team of celebrities and they fight over the Gold Man Trophy. I mean, my favorite Spider-Man is probably still Tobey Maguire. And I would love to watch him fight Post Malone because fuck Post Malone. <laughs> Our sponsor for today's episode is The Star Draft. They wanted us to let you know that uh, Hollywood Awards season is almost here. Star Draft lets you be a part of it like never before. It's a little bit like fantasy football meets the Golden Globes. Uh, so we have a league at The Star Draft. Actually, we're so pretty and popular that our first league that we created has already filled up. Uh, so we are making a second league for Netflix and Swill listeners, uh, which you didn't send me the link for. How's the ad read going so far? Because I feel like we're crushing it. Uh, we're definitely crushing it. It's uh, NNS Listener League 2 Electric Boogaloo. Very easy to find. Just type in Electric Boogaloo to laugh along with us as we <laughs> have a second listener league. Uh, so you basically draft a team of 10 actors slash musicians. Before every nomination and awards show, you set your lineup, uh, you watch the uh, re awards, rewards, you watch them get rewarded with awards, and rehearse your acceptance speech. And uh, the top scoring team at the end of Oscar night earns a cash prize. It's 100% free. Uh, we love you and the Star Draft. So here's uh, our free public league that you can join right now. Just please sign up for it. Please, I, I need this. Make sure you sign up at thestardraft.com slash swill, so that way they know we sent you. Yes, uh, we look forward to beating you all award season long. Welcome back, everybody. Caleb, it's time to get our main review topic for the week. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is a brand new drama slash music film from Netflix. Uh, it is a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb. Uh, Chicago, 1927, a recording session. Tensions rise between Ma Rainey, her ambitious horn player, and the white management determined to control the uncontrollable mother of the blues. Based on the Pulitzer Prize winning August Wilson play. Uh, this is directed by George C. Wolfe. And stars Viola Davis in way too much makeup and Chadwick Boseman in his last role. Uh, so I'll ask you, Caleb, since we always throw it to me first, what did you think of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? I didn't know what to expect going into this. I thought it was just kind of like, hey, here's a a dramatization of, you know, what was what life was like for old timey blues band. Um actually like this quite a bit it's it's about interpersonal dramas and like people's aspirations and and dreams and their shortcomings in the face of the the racist culture of the roaring 20s and it's just kind of 
tucked into uh, this loose narrative about a, a recording session to mm-hmm. to cut a record for this song. Um, the the titular Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Yeah, I I actually like this a lot. This is uh, a powerhouse acting piece, and it's got a lot of interesting themes and um, kind of like things that you can pick apart through multiple rewatches that yeah. I will get into later. Uh, what did you think? I mean, I've been hearing for a while that this is like one of Chadwick Boseman's finest acting performances, and I was just like, all right, come on. We all know this is like a Heath Ledger, Dark Knight situation. Where we're like, yeah, we like we think it's great, but like one of his best. Uh, and I came out of watching it and said, oh, yeah. This is one of his best. Like th- he's amazing yeah. in this movie. Yeah, I thought he was phenomenal. Vino- Viola Davis is uh, amazing as always. I do think they put like a lot of makeup on her. I know it was intentional, but yeah. like I don't know. I just looked at her. and was like, "What?" Like I don't, I don't know anything about Ma Rainey. <laughs> so I just went. I, I, I was just like, "Did she really wear this much makeup? Like this is a fuck ton of makeup." Yeah. Um. It is what it is, though. Oh, yeah. I will say, probably the most interesting thing about this is because, like, this is the second August Wilson uh, play for film that uh, Viola Davis has been in recently. Mm-hmm. The first one was Fences. And Fences, at times, feels a lot like a play because it's a lot of people waiting for cues of, like, certain people to move off sk- off camera. Uh, like, no two things can be happening at the same time in fences uh it, it's, or so it seems in this this does a much better job of blending it so it doesn't feel like you know only one thing is happening at a time like it does feel like multiple things are happening at any time like a movie would uh and it just jumps between scene to scene this could easily have been an, an original script for the screen so which uh i i appreciate it and i know some people are gonna be like oh yeah that's that's cool like i'm glad we got you know a movie that uh, actually feels like a movie instead of, like, you know, a play that is adapted for the screen, which, like, it still is adapted for the screen, but it feels more like a movie than Fences does to me, which I still think Fences is the superior movie, but uh, I I felt like this was more cohesive. Okay. What did you think of the Chadwick Boseman I mean, that scene where he's talking about how his mother was raped by, like, eight or nine white men uh, was fucking haunting to hear about. Uh, and the emotion he he portrays in that scene is incredible. Like, I mean, that that's going to be the clip they show at the Oscars when, you know, he's nominated for Best Actor, Supporting Actor, whichever one, I'm, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm gonna have to try hard to get him on my uh, draft team for the star draft. That's true. I think okay. Let's let's take a quick second because we didn't mention it during the ad read. But I feel like he's a, a first round pick for the star draft because you have him for both this and Defy Bloods, where I think he's, you know, uh, going into this, I was like, man, he was really good in Defy Bloods. Like I really like him a lot in, the, yeah. in Defy Bloods, and this is like. I think this blows Defy Bloods out of the water. I would actually say, yeah, I think, I, like, just his performance specifically, yes. or as a film, yeah, no, just actually, his, just, probably both. Mm, just his performance specifically, but uh, I mean, we could talk about we could talk about both movies, but uh, I mean, I think specifically for his performance, I think he kills it in this movie more than he does in. Uh, in Defy Bloods. I I think Defy Bloods is still more Del Rey Lindo's movie, and this is more Chadwick Boseman's movie to do his thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't know. He definitely brought a lot of heart, a lot of emotion to it, like which is all the more impressive considering how sick he was. Oh my god. And yeah. like it made it, you know, that much sadder because like I don't know if you noticed, but like he's really thin. Oh my god, yes. Yeah. He 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 looks so thin in this, especially compared to like Black Panther, where like I don't want to say he's jacked, but he's like really fit in that. And this he just he was looks, toned, yeah. yeah. He's very skinny in this. And like maybe if we didn't know about the cancer, maybe we would have just assumed it was like a Christian Bailey type thing, whereas like he, 
you know, like for the machinist, he basically had like a cup of coffee and like an egg every day. And mm-hmm. uh, for all we would have known, maybe he was just doing the same thing that Christian Bale did. Because like, I don't know, I don't think a, a trumpet player's in, in the 1920s is exactly supposed to be like the buffest dude. I, I do want to talk a bit about like the themes and such of the movie, but I don't want to talk about like the plot because the plot in and of itself has has to do with the themes in the movie. So uh, is there anything else you want to say non-spoiler wise for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? I mean, we kind of glossed over it, but, like, obviously Viola Davis also is fantastic. Like, she's the the older, more experienced, and more kind of wise to the, the ways of the world uh, musician. Mm-hmm. And, like, like, Chadwick Boseman is basically her foil. Like, he's the new up-and-comer who thinks that he's got it all figured out and has i guess mixed success you can say uh that's one way to put it to put it nicely for him i guess but um yeah i don't know i um i liked her a lot the uh the whole grill situation was a bit odd she had a lot of uh a lot of dental stuff going on oh yeah so i don't know if that's like a thing ma rainey is known for was having like like a big grill? I, I don't know what else to call it. I don't know what else to yeah, call I, it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know much about Ma Rainey herself, other than like what I saw in this movie. But apparently she was a real person. Yeah, well, they show pictures of her at the... over the credits or whatever, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, that's it. I don't know. Okay. I don't know a lot about Blue's history. Yeah, so. I don't either, to be honest. Uh, So, for me... The other thing that I noticed about this movie, and th- they talk about it, because uh, this is set in Chicago. However, they did film this in Pittsburgh, which I could tell. Uh, the Interesting. The main thing I know about Pittsburgh and like Chicago is they have similar architecture style. Like, for instance, uh, that's the reason why The Dark Knight Rises was shot in Pittsburgh after The Dark Knight was shot in uh, Chicago is because they have very similar architecture style and if you like visit the downtown Pittsburgh area and the downtown Chicago area you can you can definitely tell. So, uh being that August Wilson is a Pittsburgh playwright first and foremost, like they even though the play even though the movie is set in Chicago, they still went to Pittsburgh to to shoot it. So, uh it was nice to see uh you know old school Pittsburgh, you know, dressed up back in the 1920s kind of style. I kind of so I kind of loved it for that. Uh, but technically not a Pittsburgh movie, but still, uh, Chicago may as well be Pittsburgh. It's true. All right. So, uh, what would you give Ma Rainey's Black Bottom before we talk about spoilers? I'm actually going to go four. Okay. Like, I thought this was really strong and, uh, something that I plan to revisit. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I want to revisit it as well, especially for the Swillies at the end of the year. But uh, as of right now, three and a half. So a okay. general recommend from the Netflix and Swill podcast. Uh, and with that, it's time to move into spoilers. Thank Let you. me just play the ending for you. No, no, I don't want to see how it ends. Okay, I could describe it. Um, imagine you're in a room. No, no, like... no, 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 I don't want to know how it ends. I haven't seen the beginning uh, yeah, yet. Yeah, but the ending is awesome. So if I could just Son play bitch, the... this is what you always do. You always spoil stuff uh, for me. No, I don't. And if I could just play the ending for you real quick, then we'll discuss that. Motherfucker, you always spoil everything before I get a chance okay, to see Okay, you sound like a crazy person right now. Chadwick Boseman uh, brandishing a knife, being very intense. That other scene with, yeah, the one you're talking about with, like, him brandishing a knife to Cutler was uh, also very fucking nutty and tense and another performance piece. But I, I still feel like that's, like, secondary to his uh, his his story about the, the men who raped his mother. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about this, like, kind of thematically, I sure. guess. Um, so... You know, he's talking about, you know, I'm going to I'm going to make it. I'm going to be a big famous musician. I'm putting together my own band. But like the whole time through the the movie, basically, like he he's so mad because there's like a door there, like in the like where the band is rehearsing mm-hmm. and everybody else is like, oh, that door's always been there. You don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. Towards the end of the film, like he actually 
manages to like shoulder check his way through the door and like it's just an empty room with nothing in it mm-hmm. and that's like a metaphor i guess for his music career like he's trying to bash up against like f- trying to brute force his way into this or whatever and like when he like finds his way into this room finally it's just an empty room with nothing in it it's like a broom closet basically right that he was like all upset about trying to get in there and like same with you know the the old rich white dude who was uh paying him to perform on Ma Rainey's record uh wasn't really going to help him like start his own music career he was just kind of saying that and it's like oh I'll I'll buy your songs for $5 and uh the cruelest irony of all is that at the like the very last thing we see in the movie is one of his songs being performed by uh, a white band. Oh and yeah, it's like, uh, like a fucking swing band version of it that sucks. Oh, it's terrible. It's so bad. Like you, you watch him perform it throughout the entire. Well, not the entire movie, but like there, there's times where he, he'll like break out into it, and you're like, wow, this is lively and has energy, and it's just kind of like really good, and then. You you watch these guys at the end just like fucking bastardize it, and you're like, well, because yeah. like he pleads with he pleads with the guy at the end. He's like, let me play it for you. Let me show you how to play it. Like, let me show you what I can do playing this this song. Yeah, because he's he's actually a, a tremendous trumpet player. Like he's mm-hmm. a Louis Armstrong type. So like he, he you know he pleads with the guy, and he's like, nah, I'll just no, I just want to buy your songs for five dollars a piece and it's like well i mean obviously you don't take this deal you go to somewhere else and you make these songs but i guess he didn't have much of an option yeah but like you know hearing him plead that and then all of a sudden the white uh, you know uh, douchebag record producer white guy it's like nah five dollars for your songs they, they don't mean shit and i'm assuming this is a metaphor and i apologize if i if i sound like i'm taking this out of turn but, uh, you know, he's very angry with what happened with him and uh, the record producer. And when the guys are heckling him, uh, well, the guys don't heckle him. They, they're like, well, you just learned. You just learned what it is to deal with the white man. And uh, one of mm-hmm. his one of his um, one of the guys he was playing with Toledo accidentally like scuffs his shoe and he gets fucking furious with him yeah. because he scuffed his shoe, his eleven dollar shoes. Uh, and then he stabs him. Yeah, yes, fucking stabs and kills the guy. Um, which like the whole way through the movie too, that like the shoes are the big thing. Like that's the the physical manifestation of his would be success. Yes, you know, this is like the nicest thing he's ever owned, and like he's constantly polishing them. And like if anybody accidentally steps on his shoe, he gets all fucked off. Yeah. and you know, kind of hits rock bottom and fucking kills the old dude but uh my my thought with this was that he is he he stabs the old dude because he like barely wrongs him but that's because like he feels like he can't act out against the white man so it's like an allegory for like black on black crime yeah he can't do anything about the institution he's just destroying the the thing that's closest to him that he has direct power over right which like I said, I don't know if I, I'm allowed to say such things, but that's kind of like the the impression that I got there. I mean, it makes sense. Like that's that's definitely a, a read of it that I wouldn't put it past that being the author's intent, right? And then, like, I mean, they they've been telling him like the whole movie too. Like, hey, you you can't trust anybody. Like, you gotta like. Ma Ma is seem is seemingly uh you know somebody who's a pain in the ass to record with or work with because she just wants complete control over herself. But like her being so nitpicky about everything is like her way of showing the white record producers that she's not going to kowtow to their every whim, right? And be like a servant to them. Like she she does it on her terms, no one else's. Right, and that's what Levy thinks he is able to do is like he's able to do it on his terms, but he he either A doesn't have the clout or B doesn't have the confidence in himself to actually do it on his terms. Like I mean, he sold his songs for $5. 
and Ma Rainey uh, made two hundred dollars for a record, like like recording a record. Yeah, and was smart enough to not sign the release forms until they begged her to, because she already had him over a barrel. Right. So, I don't know. I I, I think it says a lot, like maybe age and experience and other such. I I, I don't know what it, exactly what it says, but. There, there's something to be said for like their dichotomy because you know he's he's the mm-hmm. young upstart who thinks he knows everything, and she's the old wise black woman that under not old but like older who who's like been through this before, who understands like what the white man wants and is basically like steal your art uh, from out under you and then never let you uh, really rise above him. Yeah, it uh. On one of the Dave Chappelle specials on Netflix, I can't remember which one, but he was talking about the difference between being rich and being wealthy. It was like, LeBron James is rich. The white guy that signs his checks is wealthy. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, that was kind of the most that she could do is just like be a fucking thorn in everybody's ass <laughs> and like make them bend to her whim to get what they want. Otherwise, like... I. I don't have much much more to say uh, regarding this movie. I, man, August Wilson definitely can write. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, like I said, I enjoyed this a lot. So, yeah, if you uh, if you like this, I I definitely think you should seek out Fences. Yeah, it might be on HBO. I'll have to check it out. That but, sounds right. But um, I want I wanted to watch it when it first came out, but of course I wasn't in the right market for it. Oh yeah. Oh, well, yeah, no. First of all, you live in bumfuck nowhere. And second of all, you live in Trump country. There's no way Fences was ever playing in that area. Yeah, it's true. Fuck, there's still a lot of people wearing their Trump hats around. Like, it's not something to be horribly, horribly embarrassed about. I mean, it was something to be horribly embarrassed about four years ago. But, like, I don't know. They don't care. Ohio's fucking weird, man. It's... Like, I I was talking to my one co-worker last week, and I was like, you know that you're north of the Mason-Dixon line, right? It's important to me that you know that. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's very important. Like, holy fuck. Like, it's it's amazing to me how many Confederate flags there are north of the Mason-Dixon. It's just incredible to me. It's just like, you're yeah. in the wrong spot. I mean, you shouldn't be flying that flag anyway. No matter what, because the the connotations behind that flag are uh, problematic to say the least and racist to say the most. I feel like there's a lot more I could say about it, but sure. Like, I I kind of fall into the camp that, like, it is treason to fly that flag because you are flying the flag of uh, an enemy nation that we defeated. Very so, soundly. I think that there should be a, a a prison sentence associated with it. Like, I don't think that really falls under free speech. I, I uh, mean, that is, yeah, uh, it it is it is uh, holy sedition to do that. To me, it should be treated just like the Nazism is in Germany at this point. Like you, you fly, you say Heil Hitler or like yep. car- like carry around the Nazi flag. Like mm-hmm. you should be serving some prison time. Like it's, it, Hitler got a lot of his ideas from, you know, how we treated the Native Americans. So true. Uh, anything else you want to talk about with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom before we dive into uh, America's uh, racist uh, underculture? <laughs> no, watch it. It's real good. But yeah, I agree. It's very good. All right. Uh, well, let's cut into a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about a patron review that some bastard gave us. Oh no. The Netflix and Swill podcast is brought to you by our patrons. Gerald Morris, Bill Sutton, Nick Haskins, Ashley the Bubby Gorski, Ben Kiefer, Paul Prezula, Daniel Henderson, Julio Oliveira, Jimmy Delarosa, Chris Yaney, Brianna Petty, Nate Wade, Alan Gallarisi, Duty Dutram, Casey Moore, and Dan's mom. If you would like to become a patron of the show, find us at netflixandswill.com slash Patreon. Buy some shit. Visit netflixandswill.com slash merch. Leave a review and tell me how good I'm getting at public speaking. Visit netflixandswill.com slash Apple Podcasts. 
Thanks for letting us live our dreams of being professional idiots. We now return you to your regularly scheduled banter. Welcome back, everybody. Caleb, it is time to get into a patron request review for The Invitation. Well, fine, if you don't want my money. You mean, if we watch terrible movies, you'd give us money? Well, sure. Mr. Caleb, welcome to the patron review segment. The Invitation is a 2015 drama mystery thriller film rated 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb. A man accepts an invitation to a dinner party hosted by his ex-wife for some fucking reason. Correct. An unsettling affair that reopens old wounds and creates new tensions. (sighs) Dan, what did you think of The Invitation? Uh, So I had seen this maybe three years ago. Uh, Ashley doesn't remember watching this with me, but I know for a fact she watched this with me. Because she has she has rated it on Letterboxd. Uh, regardless, this movie's fine. It's a really, 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 really slow burn for about an hour and fifteen minutes, and then actually does yeah. things in the in the final thirty. I watched the first hour of this. It was it is a very very slow burn. After an hour, I was like, I know exactly what's going to happen. None of these characters are doing what they should do, what any logical person would do. And I turned it off because I was very frustrated and very uncomfortable and I did not like it. That's that's fair. I also remember the trailer for this movie when it first came out and like seeing some clips and stuff. So like everything that was going to happen, I pretty much already knew and I wasn't going to wait around for it. Um, we just watched the master recently. I'm, I'm pretty much full up on cult movies. Don't want to see another cult movie. Don't like them. Like the whole, the whole plot of like 90% of movies that involve a cult in any way is like aggressive human stupidity that like you ignore your fight or flight instinct. Because, like, every character in this movie is like, this is weird, I should go. And then they don't. Right. Like, there's multiple times where uh, Tom Hardly is like, yo, uh, I should, we, should, we should just <laughs> fuck off. Like, first of all, don't ever, like, don't ever accept an invitation from your ex-wife to do something. Ever. Yeah. It's fucking weird. I mean, so, like, that part of it, I already was just like, nah, fuck that. Like, because I remember watching this and being like... I would never, ever, ever in my life go to something my ex is doing by choice. Her name is Eden, and she looks like Dollar Store Liv Tyler. <laughs> she does. I don't know. Uh, I, I like it for its examination into the different ways we cope with, like, people cope with grief. Like, some people just choose to completely ignore it. Some people choose to make it, like, define themselves. Yeah. The correct way to handle grief is to push it way, way down where it can never hurt you. That is correct. And, that is what and the pretend cult does. that it doesn't exist. But then, like, it, also how it manifests in, like, a group. Because, like, uh, they, they basically are like, hey, this world is sad. Let's move on from this world onto a different world or a different plane of existence where everyone's there and we're all happy again. Yeah. And, uh,. Somebody immediately says, oh, this is like a cult. You're in a cult. You're trying to convert us to your cult. And, and like, then nobody nah. leaves. Well, I mean... And then they watch the, the old lady snuff film. Oh, my God. That was one of the weird... That was a weird take for five minutes, was to watch a woman die on camera. And not like... It's not like that movie feel to it, where it's like, oh, I just watched someone just like randomly die in a movie. Okay, whatever. This was like someone's home video version of like hey we're watching grandma die yeah like that's fucking bizarre yep uh so unshockingly it's a death cult and they're trying to make everybody drink their kool-aid literal literal kool-aid yeah literally it's a it's a jim jones fucking uh fucking xenu 
Heaven's Gate space cult. I'm going to go move on from this world and live among the stars. So yeah, uh, when everything comes to uh, comes to happen, I mean, it it happens. Uh and I don't know. I I I think it's relatively satisfying. But I mean, whatever. If you if you don't like it, you don't like it. It's fine. Yeah. Uh I I will praise John Carroll Lynch in this like his his speech about like his his wife that he murdered is fucking haunting and horrifying. So hearing it, hearing him recount that because I think John Carolyn, yeah. a very good actor, was awesome. Let's talk about this. The guy tells the very cool story about how he murdered his wife. Yes, and then the one girl's like, "This is too much. I'm out," and is the only sensible person in the movie because she actually does leave. And then everybody else lets uh, wife killer walk her out. Which is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Although, it, admittedly, Tom Hardly walk, watching out the window is probably the smartest thing anyone could do in that in that kind of situation. Yeah. But then, like, he, like, because he parked behind her or whatever, so he moves his car, lets her out, like, she starts out onto the road, and he's like, oh, hey, wait a second. And then walks up to her car behind the hedge where he can't see, and he doesn't go out and be like, hey, hey, don't murder her. Well, that's because he got distracted by Dario Naharis. <laughs> Jesus. Was that really who that was? Yeah. It that, was, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was uh older brother from uh Haunting of Hill House. Huh. Okay. I don't I don't know his actual name, I just know him as two roles. And I have never seen him in Game of Thrones, so <laughs> I just know everyone's like, ah, look, it's Dario, everybody. I don't know. <laughs> I like how like that was uh main guy's ex-wife's new partner or whatever but it also was just like dollar store version of him they look they look so damned like the same person yeah especially when you like see the flashbacks of him where like he's he doesn't have the beard like he doesn't look like he's a homeless man that wandered in from the street yeah the moral of this movie is don't go to people's houses uh, don't talk to your exes, and uh, if your instincts tell you to get out, uh, that's because a billion years of evolution have taught you that, and you need to listen to it. Mm-hmm. This is correct. I don't even know if I would call it boring. Like I was, I was extremely agitated during this. Like it, I don't know. I don't know if it was the subject matter or the fact that, like, I very recently watched another movie that was very similar that also, like, gave me the same kind of anxiety. Sure. But, like, I think mostly it was just, like, the stupidity of the characters and not listening to themselves mm -hmm. and, like, what they wanted to do. It's like, I was very agitated through this whole movie, like, very very anxious and uncomfortable and did not enjoy any part of the experience. Sure. That's fair. Uh, let's, let's talk about the twist at the end. So like, of course it breaks bad. Uh, they're trying to kill them that like, there's one person drinks the Kool-Aid and dies. Um, everybody else for the most part doesn't. And then like the, the people who are already converted into the cult try to kill the ones that aren't. Um, and then, like, they light this red lantern, and, like, at the end of the movie, the, the last, you know, couple people that survive go out, and they see all these other red lanterns lighting up all over the place. So this is a, a widespread event where this cult has people hosting dinner parties all over the place. Yeah. And they're all murdering people. Like, you hear, like, sirens yeah. going off. Uh, a lot of helicopters, like more gunshots, screaming. It's an interesting twist. Yeah. It's that's probably the most unbelievable part of the movie, though, even more so than like somebody would go to a dinner party hosted by their ex-wife and ex-wife's new lover and their live-in mistress. Yeah, right? Because like, I feel like a lot of people would notice I don't know. It'd be like, oh, I've I got invited to three of these dinner parties on the same night. 
What a weird thing. Um, yeah, that's it. Uh, given that I couldn't finish the movie, uh, it has to be a one. So I'm sorry, Paul. I'm sorry, Paul. I don't know if you actually liked this, so I assume you did. I assume he did as well. Uh, allow me to check letterboxes. I tell you all that this is a, since I said it's fine, it's a three. It It, it is actually just a, a, a fine movie, which like, and I feel like at some point, 15 minutes could have been chopped off and, you know, made it, made the, like, cause it is a slow burn, but like, it's also like a boring slow burn at like at at point. Yeah. Cause it's like, Hey, everyone should have left by now. Like what's, what the fuck's going on? Like why, like, are, are we just framing it that because, uh, Tom Hartley is grieving about the, the death of his son, he's in the house that he was with his ex-wife in for the first time in two years, like, He's freaking out because of that, and therefore we're not listening to him? Okay, I guess. Fine. You you heard it here first, folks. This movie is almost as good as Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, Paul says, three and a half. So, yeah, he kind of likes it. I know, I understand it, because you've explained it to me a bunch of times, but your your rating scale just is wild to me. It's fine. It's a fine rating scale. It works. Is it Corey's rating scale? No. Is anyone's rating scale Corey's rating scale? No. Corey's is. Corey's makes no sense. Mine, at least, like has a logical progression in how it goes. I'll tell you who really likes this movie, Sean Ennis. Four and half. Oh, boy. It uh, it must just be something wrong with me that I'm not able to enjoy anything that other people like. Uh, that's probably true. Hey, so uh, what are we doing next week on the show? Uh, well, next week on the show, we're doing a review of We Can Be Heroes, uh, the sequel to Shark Boy and Lava Girl. And on the back of that, we are actually going to go back to the original. And review the adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl, starring Taylor Lautner. I can't believe you talked me into this, but uh, this is how this works sometimes. Yeah, it's going to be worth it. Uh, tell them stuff, Dan. Uh, you can find the show at NetflixandSwill.com. NetflixandSwill.com slash Patreon takes you to our Patreon page where you can, uh, you know, give us money and we will uh, dance like monkeys for you sometimes. Uh, we're like with Paul. Uh, well, if at the five dollar level, you will uh, be able to select a movie every quarter for us to watch, and we'll watch it and probably shit on it. Yeah, probably. The other thing to watch out for this week is our Christmas special. It'll be up sometime after this is up because it's just how it is. It'll probably be up on uh, either the twenty third or twenty fourth. So get your Christmas on with Netflix and Swill. Yeah, and uh, make sure to join our. Uh, listener league for the star draft. Accurate. Uh, thank you to Space Weather for the use of our theme song, Bitter, uh, which is the, the the cult drank the bitter Kool-Aid of arsenic. Uh, don't murder your friends in a cult. This is Caleb saying we'll see you next Tuesday. 